Hi everyone, I'm Jalisa. Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth. And today we're going to be spilling the tea with Danica on accessibility and accommodations as a TA. So grab your cup, sit back, and get ready to sip on some hot tea. So Danica, we are really excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast, Accessibility. We're wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your background and your academic work. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me uh, to both of you. I'm just excited to be here and you're just great people to chat with. Uh, So yeah, in terms of academics, I'm a bit of an outlier. I've been at Western University going on 10 years now. Uh, Wow, you must like purple. Honestly, I do. But the I think the funny thing is, is I have probably like two Western sweaters that I got in my undergrad and I just have kept them. And those are the only two, you know, like there's a certain point where you stop by merch and it's just like, I'm here. We're just going to keep going with it. So, yeah, um, academically speaking, though, my uh, bachelor's degree and my master's degree were largely shaped around career aspirations to go to law school. Uh, I say that with the caveat that both degrees uh, were in English literature and writing studies. And my bachelor's degree was actually an honors double major in English literature and criminology. And I really appreciate that training now as I've grown up in my 20s because it just challenged me through my writing and my critical thinking skills. At the time, I was taking those classes and courses because pragmatically I was like, okay, to be a lawyer, you know, technical writing is great. Being really persuasive and argumentative is important. I wanted to learn more about like the social aspects of law and social justice. So the criminology degree made sense. And then I ended up doing a job shadow my fourth year of a lawyer in a law firm in London. And I remember talking with him and he was kind of saying, you know, if you're interested in law, that's awesome, but you have to know what the job is. And it's 95% reading and writing. And then maybe in that 5%, depending on where area you practice, you'll get into a courtroom. And it's not glamorous. It's just, it's a lot. And you take your work home with you. And it's not to say that that conversation like dissuaded me, but I knew I wanted to do some kind of career where I was talking to people and trying to make some kind of impact in their lives I was really into just looking at unjust systems and improving services. So I think the the draw to law was like, that is something that seems like the output is for the common good, right? And I was really hooked on that. When I learned more about what it actually would mean to practice law day to day, I was kind of sitting with my thoughts saying, "Mm, I'm not quite sure if that's what I want, but I also really love reading and writing. But like, I also don't know if I want a career 
that's going to perhaps make me hate reading if I'm doing it all the time. So while I was doing this, and then I applied for my master's for English Lit and studied a bit of international law as well at the same time, I, up until that point, had volunteered with a health promotion program that was community-based out of Western, and it worked in low-income neighborhoods in London. And it was run by undergraduate students out of the Faculty of Health Sciences And I joined it in first year because I wanted to do some kind of volunteering. I wanted to meet people, but I also just loved working with kids. And this was a after-school program that was structured kind of like big brothers, big sisters. So you would pair up with a little buddy in grades one to three, and you'd work through different reading activities. There was always some kind of health promotion piece worked in. So we do like a really cool snack for a nutrition break. We'd play some kind of game that involved physical activity. We'd sit and read with them and help them with their reading skills. And it was once a week for about a whole term. And I just really liked it. It was just something to get away from campus, feel like I was doing something in London, not just isolated at Western. And I met a lot of really cool people that I'm still friends with today. Since I was doing this on the side of my degree, It was always something that like was a little bit of a passion project. And when I got to my fourth year and I was applying for my master's, I also stepped into the role of director of this program. And the faculty member who helped to oversee the program that was part of the Faculty of Health Sciences was Dr. Lori Donnell, who is now my current PhD supervisor. And I met Lori in my capacity with this program, which is called Learning It Together. And we just bonded over the program. And I built up a great relationship with her over the course of a couple of years. But it was always just, again, in this informal sense, like I was just doing it because I liked it. And when I was director in that year and working closely with Lori, we came across a situation where there were, some of our volunteers were being asked by their little buddies if they could add them on social media, like add them to Snapchat. Some of them were on Facebook or Instagram. And these kids were in the age range of about eight to 10, 11 years old. So they were still quite young, Uh, not to say young to be using technology, but young to be asking to add someone to an account, which suggests that they would already have their own account or be working from an account. And most of those sites, you have to be at least 13 years of age or older. And we didn't have an internal policy to deal with that. So when I brought it to Lori, at that point in her career, she had done a lot of work with technology and its health and social impacts in older adults and adult populations. But this caught her off guard. She was really interested in it. And so was I, because, you know, I have friends who have kids, I have little cousins. And like, I know kids were on tech and using social media, but it was just so in my face and in our face collectively as an organization and program that we dealt with it internally, but it started turning the gears, especially in Lori's head. And she was coming to the point where she's like, let's explore it. Would you be interested in exploring this? I know you're doing grad school, you're working on your master's, but 
if you want to jump into this as like a pilot study with me to perhaps talk to these kids and then maybe we can see how we can make the program better. Maybe we could put some like digital literacy activities in there. You know, let's see what we can get. So we ended up doing a pilot study. And again, I was still in my master's at this point, riding the English train, still thinking about law school, looking at studying with my LSATs. And once that pilot study was completed and I got my toes wet with the research experience and just being really fascinated in this area, it was Lori who kind of put it in my ear that if I was interested in perhaps pursuing this further in grad school, we had a great working relationship. She told me about the program that I'm currently in now, which is health information science, as an avenue that I could keep exploring, doing this work, learn a new skill set. But it was, it was a great conversation because at that point, I, I started to figure out that the commonality between law and my previous training, academically speaking, was I just always had a drive to help people and make some kind of impact. And I think having this hands-on research experience solidified that for me, but also gave me a space where like reading and writing were assets and they were skills that I would have to rely on, but it perhaps wouldn't jade me in the way that practicing as a lawyer would. (laughs) So that is my like long-winded way of saying I was an arts kid that somehow got sidetracked into a health promotion program And I really liked it. And now I am in my fourth year working on my PhD in health information science, which for lack of better phrasing, it's a split program that lets you look at the ways that health is impacted in a variety of contexts. The information systems piece really comes in so you can take it in any kind of avenue that makes sense to you as the principal investigator, I'm really curious about how technology helps shape the social and cultural pieces of young people's lives. And the health piece in that is just understanding that as people on this planet, our health isn't just physical, it's emotional, it is spiritual, It is everything that makes us up as this body that is moving through the world. And the environmental piece is also important. So we're at this moment now where most of us rely on some kind of technology, albeit like a smartphone or a tablet, at least in first world North American culture sense to help us navigate our life. So I, there's so much possibility and opportunity with research in this area that I'm hooked and I'm still going, but I always feel like I have to preface and kind of give the little detailed journey of how I got here because it's not typical. I'm definitely, when I tell people how I got here, they're always interested, but it's always with the caveat of, I started in one place and I ended up on the other side of the map and this is why, (laughs) and I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your journey. I actually was also part of learning it together. So it's cool to hear your experience with that and then how that kind of shaped your 
grad school journey. So well, that's I know you've so been cool. <laughs> yeah, that Sorry, is. Jaleesa, that made me so that's happy. Okay. <laughs> that's totally okay. It was a great program and it's cool to, to just hear about what you've done with it. Um, so I know you mentioned that was one of your extracurriculars and we hear you're quite involved on campus. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think both of you, Elizabeth especially, knows me through the Society of Graduate Students. Uh, so that is the graduate advocacy governmental organization at Western University. So the acronym SOGS, uh, we're responsible for holding council that is made up democratically of representatives from all our graduate programs. And SOGS largely oversees services for graduate students, including transportation, so like our bus pass. It oversees services in terms of financial and social support. So we have a number of bursaries and subsidies that we help uh, dish out to make sure our members are taken care of. And insofar as social support, we have a really, really strong group of advocates, uh, Elizabeth being our accessibility commissioner, which we are so proud of, but the social support really comes in where there are different areas from accessibility to concerns about international students and their experiences to racial inequities and really um, making sure that we're not only holding ourselves accountable as an organization internally, but making sure that our campus partners and our broader campus community knows our perspectives. And when we're consulted to help make systemic shifts on campus or perhaps propose new ideas or working groups to really address the cultural knowledge gaps that, you know, an institution as Western that's been around for a couple hundred of years. It, we're at a moment now, especially in 2022, where we really have to look ourselves in the mirror and figure out our university's values and belief systems and what do we wanna prioritize as a community to help make this a really fantastic educational institution, but also one that we can be proud of that just has a really strong campus culture. So SOGS is integral to that. My role at least with SOGS is vice president academic. Uh, so I'm part of the executive oversight committee that largely speaking, we do a lot of the liaising between upper administration and the provost teams, but with respect to my own role, I really pay attention to more of the academic related events and or processes. So I'm involved in a lot of university senate subcommittee uh, groups that make academic policy and award decisions. I also oversee the SOGS podcast and radio show, uh, which is Gradcast. Be sure to check them out if you're curious. And then I also work with the academic committee and they are responsible for hosting the Western Research Forum, which started way back in the 1970s and it is still going on. It's held every year. 
in March. So it's coming up this year. And it's the largest interdisciplinary graduate conference at Western. And it gives graduate students a chance from all disciplines to see each other's work, hear about, you know, different projects or research teams that are going on. And because it's graduate student run and operated, it's just a really nice chance to meet and network with other people. So I've been in this role with SOGS for about two years now, and I've enjoyed my time. I've learned so much, um, but it also takes up a lot of my time. <laughs> so I'm trying to balance school and this kind of these kinds of roles, and even with your podcast and the great work that you put out into the world. You know, it it's a give and take, and balancing is hard, but you try and make it work. Yeah, balancing is key for sure for any grad students. And so kind of thinking about balancing, most of us as grad students are also responsible for TAing. I don't know if TAing is a verb, but for being a teaching assistant. And so I'm wondering if you could tell us your experiences with that, how you sort of balance that and being a grad student and, you know, any tips you might have for teaching assistants that are balancing accommodation needs as well. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've really enjoyed TAing, and I think we should just, that's a verb. We're going to make yep, it a verb. We're making we'll it a Urban verb. dictionary it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's really cool about that role um, is you get hands-on experience, whether or not you ever want to teach again or be in a teaching role past your graduate degree. Given the opportunity to work with undergraduates who, again, depending at what point in time you come to grad school, whether you're a mature student or you've been just hitting it one right after the other, sometimes your students are only a couple of years, if that, younger than you. I think it's a really cool opportunity to be able to sharpen your communication skills, to kind of, as a as a TA, as a vessel of, you know, knowledge and you're facilitating, let's say, discussion or a lab and you get to guide people and see people learn in real time. And you also get to learn where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are, just perhaps in a little in a different context than what you may be used to with just doing research or just doing your coursework as a graduate student. Um, when it comes to the accommodations piece, personally, uh, as someone who has had a plethora of mental health uh, related accommodations and or needs that need to be met in order for me to do my job, I think really what has helped me, at least in my role as a TA, is reminding myself that whatever I need to have in place in terms of an accommodation or a support that will make me in the best position to do the best job that I can for my students is a non-negotiable. And it's something that it took a little bit for me to be comfortable, at least advocating it, advocating for it, sorry, in my own context, but just having no shame with it and understanding that everybody moves through the world, at least my perspective, we all move through the world a little bit differently. And because of that, there are going to be things that I may 
need that someone else doesn't. Um, but that's okay. And I've been really more transparent with my students, at least in the last couple of years in my PhD, not necessarily coming out and having it as almost this confessional that, hey, this is what I'm going through personally. But I've just really tried to normalize it in conversation with them as something that it's like, hey, what do you need or what may you need to show up as the best version of yourself for this class in your relationship with me as your instructor? And how can I support that? Or if you're struggling to navigate it, I always want to make sure that they know of the resources on campus where they can go. And I always frame it in this version as what, what will make you the best version of yourself and framing it that way to them, I hope, or at least I've received feedback makes it less daunting, makes it more normal and gives them kind of a positive outlook in terms of you deserve what you need. So we're going to make it happen and you're going to just be awesome because I've had so many great students in the past that, you know, whether or not I knew what they were going through personally, which is again, none of my business, they are just showing up and doing the work. And I've learned so much from them. So I'm really trying to just create a space. And I'd urge other TAs and colleagues that I talk to, to make that a non-negotiable as it should be. But also, some of the transparency helps because I think we're in a cultural shift at the moment where we're also trying to normalize and break down and rebuild systems that aren't ableist, that aren't exclusionary, um, that don't perpetuate a language and culture that makes someone who needs an accommodation this outlier as like the exception. Um, that's something at least that I'm trying to build in my classrooms and I'm encouraging others to do it. Again, it's not easy all the time. I haven't had days where I felt the best at it, but you know, taking it a day at a time is all I'm trying to do at least for this semester. Yeah, those are such important points. And I, you know, I think also you know, thinking about accommodations as, as somebody that's done some TAing and lives with a, a visible disability, I think starting to think through maybe before you become a TA, what is it? I, where, where are my barriers going to be? If you know that you may not, what is it? I think my strengths are going to be that I could bring to the position and meeting with your department chair, department head to kind of talk through, here's what I think I can offer. Here's where I see some pain points. And maybe together you'll kind of think about a position, a TA ship that's going to work really well. So in my case, I TA a very small graduate seminar with a really amazing faculty member, shout out to Dr. Burke. Um, and it's worked really well because it's less about doing admin using a very inaccessible system, which is our OWL system, and really more about facilitating discussion. But I think that a key part of that for me, and unfortunately it did, it did mean taking the initiative and disclosing was sitting down with my department chair to think through, okay, what are the, what are the issues going to be around admin work? What does that look like in a larger TA ship versus a smaller one? And then kind of drafting a letter up, introducing myself and talking about what I could offer. And then that going out to some of the faculty in the department who then could decide if, if what I had to offer would be something that would work for them. Which is, I'm so glad I have a 
I have a mixed feeling response. I'm so glad that you did that and you're in a space that is serving you. And as I'm sure that you kind of said, the downside is that it took you doing so much of the legwork and also having to disclose, which again is, can be just such an emotional and psychological barrier for folks that I want to normalize that because again, I'm speaking of it of a position of comfortability, but that's just me. And that doesn't mean that it has to be okay or feel okay for everyone because, you know, that is so personal. But I think that what you kind of described there has colored and given, you know, shape to the gaps in our system where at least at Western and of my knowledge of, you know, similar post-secondary campuses in the province, at least, TA assignment is so tricky because it's left up to the individual departments as it's largely dependent on student enrollment for any given term, the courses that are being taught that have been approved, and then what faculty needs support. And at least for Ours at Western, as graduate students, our Western Graduate Research Scholarship, if your master's or doctoral degree uh, is partially funded by the university, we get our tuition covered, again, depending on your respective program, for whatever length of time your program and degree will cover it. But then we also get, uh, in the form of a TA ship or perhaps a graduate fellowship, extra income to quote, support ourselves as we move through our degree. So for some of us, when we get our offer of admission and we sign it and it's a binding contract agreement between us and Western that yes, you'll get X amount to cover your tuition. And then we'll also give you X amount to support yourself in the form of a TA ship when that comes through your department you may already know, okay, I get to be a graduate teaching assistant. But like you said, Elizabeth, the processes for that after when you're waiting to find out who you're working under, where you're going, what the course is, there's no set system for it because it is arbitrarily a thing that your one department has figured out or perhaps is still trying to figure out. And they may not have I'm going to, I don't want to generalize, but I feel like a lot of departments, again, this is reflective of post-secondary culture writ broadly. They don't have processes that are attentive to or have built themselves around the idea of accommodating for TAs, accommodating for graduate students in the vein of, yes, you are all knowledgeable and capable of doing this work, but let's find the best fit for you with what you feel most comfortable with, and then we'll sort it out from there. It's always departmental needs facing. So whatever bodies and TAs they need, they just need to make sure those spots are filled so their programs can run. And then again, that leaves students like you and myself that if we do need accommodations or if there are other things that we need to navigate externally to be okay in those spots, it's again, positioned as an exception. which in your case involved a lot of legwork (laughs) that, you know, again, bittersweet. I absolutely love Dr. Burke, shout out to her as well. Fantastic scholar, (laughs) but also 
I can't imagine just everything that you had to do on the back end to get yourself there. And it's also, you know, I think it was also sort of like, who do I even ask? Because if you go to accessible education, they'll say, well, that's, that's an employee issue. Go to human resources and human resources will say, well, you're a student. That's part of your program. So I really honestly, and I mean this pun quite, quite literally, I was sort of walking into this blind. Like I really had no idea. I was like, I guess I'll just write a letter with, here's my experience. Here's what I think I could do well. And here's where I see some, some pain points and some barriers or instances of structural violence, if we want to get critical, uh, that mm-hmm. I think I might, uh, might encounter. And Jalisa, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I think some really great points were mentioned, even going to, back to what you mentioned before, just talking about the process of accommodations and the importance of students being supported so that they can do their best and be their best. So can you offer any guidance to students who want to TA but need an accommodation just regards to the process they can go through? Yeah, absolutely. The, the first piece of advice that I would give Irregardless of like whether you're just starting as a new graduate student or even if you're, you know, a couple years into your graduate degree, because a lot of the TA, um, I'll call it like payment and processes and just administrative, the nitty gritty of it is handled by your department. Figure out who your chair of graduate studies is. And then I would honestly reach out to them if you know who the administrative assistant is for your graduate program this all of this information should be um, accessible through your departmental website or if you have a particular graduate student portal and I would again reach out just in an email just asking around how TA ships are delegated in your department Because sometimes students in the department that have been there for a long time don't even know. They just take what's given to them. But when it comes to actually having control and administrative leeway on who gets what and how we can work around it, it would be your graduate chair because they'll work closely with the undergraduate chair of your department. So again, you may be teen an undergraduate course or you may be teen a graduate course. Either way, those chairs have to work closely together to make sure that the graduate students are filling the spots that need to be filled. But in terms of making it a role that you are most comfortable in, the person that you would want to work the most uh, intimately with would be your grad chair or whoever they have delegated TA assignments to within your department. So for example, I have a great grad chair over in FIMS, uh, but I know it is the undergraduate uh, chair and dean that does a lot of the TA assignments. And that took a couple, maybe two years to catch on to that. But that's the person who I would contact or have been in contact the most with about my TA issues. Kind of what Elizabeth alluded to, the tricky point with TA assignments, and if you do have, you know, concerns around it, it's probably best to go to your department first. And then depending on what arises from those conversations, then they may refer you to, let's say, HR or um, the Equity and Human Rights Office or maybe Accessible Education. But this issue is just a much larger gap 
in campus communication that, again, I've been at Western for a long time as an undergrad, but as a grad student now. And the the communication between inter-campus uh, partners isn't as strong as it needs to be and or because we're also in a pandemic and some people are just trying to navigate their lives online, the websites also don't make that much sense. So you may just be passed around from inbox to inbox versus at least if you're on campus, they may say, oh, hey, walk down the hall, go to that reception desk. They can help you figure it out. So I empathize deeply with those over the last two years or so since we've been in this COVID mess who have been trying to figure things out and it may just seem like you're a baton that is getting passed through administration because I know switching services and contacting and liaising with students online is also just been not the best (laughs) to say the least. Yes, fair points. And, you know, if if you're new to TAing and maybe you want some experience and you don't kind of know how to start, is there anywhere you recommend going on campus to get a little help? Yes, ma'am. That would be our fabulous friends over at the Center for Teaching and Learning. Their acronym is the CTL. So the CTL is your teaching pedagogy hub at Western. They offer a variety of programming for graduate students, whether you're a first-time TA and you know nothing about running your own classroom. They have the teaching assistant training program, which they run at different points throughout the year that you as a graduate student will just get mass emails from. So this program is designed to teach you the how-tos. Again, if it's your first time, uh, it's about a two-day workshop that they run. I've done it myself. Uh, It's so awesome. I speak so highly of it to everyone. But aside from that, let's say you get that course done with and you feel like you have a foundational understanding of what you need to do within your new role. They also, over the last couple of years, have put such thought and care into more and more teaching modules that pay attention to different issues or um, concerns that you may come across in the classroom, depending on your own positionality. So, for example, they have a really great set of teaching workshops for international students or for students who just don't identify as a Canadian. So if it's your first time not only teaching, but your first time teaching in a North American context, there are workshops designed to get you acclimated to Canadian culture, to help you navigate any language barriers. There's also a couple of really great workshops that I took online last year that are much more geared towards addressing where Western as an institution is trying to do better in terms of decolonization and uh, addressing anti-Black racism at our school. So some of these courses have been offered in terms of, here are some practices if you as an educator want to learn more and try some things out in your classroom on how to perhaps not decolonize your syllabus, but how to be more mindful of 
indigenous ways of knowing and knowledge is, how to incorporate conversations of colonialism and colonial harm in your classroom, especially if you have self-identifying indigenous students or perhaps you identify as a white settler or want to be better as an ally, as a person, and then as a teacher second, here are some tools. They've done a couple of really great workshops on again, addressing institutional racism and harm, not just at Western, but in Canada and North America writ broad, um, which again, just in terms of learning on your own accord to be a better ally to those communities, but also how to show up better for your students and make your classroom a much more inclusive, welcoming, understanding place. Um, again, I can't speak more highly of those modules. So definitely check them out and plug them into your calendar when you can, because the other thing to keep in mind is you're gonna learn so much and it's gonna be awesome, but then you're gonna have to sit with that information and figure out how to make it work for you. So I try to take it like a course every couple of months because my brain will spin by the end of it in a really good way, but I need time to digest and then figure out where I, as Danica, the educator, want to take that in my own classroom. And it's free. I should note that everything at the CTL is free because we pay <laughs> to have access to that through our tuition and ancillary fees. So you can be an awesome teacher uh, at no extra charge. <laughs> guess that's my tagline for that awesome thank you so much that's great to know and I just love how you mentioned how the courses are becoming more diverse and addressing different issues so I think that's a really great opportunity for TAs at Western so kind of going on to another path what is one challenge you've experienced during your TA ships and how did you navigate that challenge Ooh, that's a good question um I think one challenge that I think I've gotten better at handling, and this is particularly in the context of student feedback when it comes to writing assignments or essays, and particularly for those who have TA'd or are TA'ing first year or second year undergraduates, I've always struggled with balancing my feedback to really validate and show them how much appreciation I have for their critical insights, for their thoughts, and for them asking big questions, while at the same time, giving them feedback, which will make them a better writer, or perhaps consider other ways of knowing or questioning without making it seem like or invalidating that they are less than in terms of less than uh, capable or less than, you know, intelligent enough to do this work. I know from when I've thought back on moments in my undergrad where I was really disheartened by a grade or when I actually would tell myself that I am stupid or that I'm not smart enough to do something. I really never wanted to be in a space where as an educator, I was actively doing that. And again, I feel like as teachers, we all have really good intentions, or I'd like to believe we do that. We want 
to be there for our students and make them the best version of themselves for the little time that we have with them, whatever that looks like. And I think people forget sometimes that even if you are marking a paper or you're giving feedback on an idea, that is so inherently pedagogical. And that is such a teachable moment just for you as an educator, but also to help guide and nurture their thinking rather than striking it down or saying, oh, you're not following the guidelines or, oh, this is just not sophisticated enough because I think we all at some point or another doubt ourselves. And that doubt is shaped socially and culturally by so many factors. And you never know where someone is coming from in their own educational journey or their own self-confidence. But either way, they've made it to Western and they're in your class. So they are capable of doing this work because they've been let in here. They have proven that they are capable of getting to this point. So I tell my undergrads, especially my first years, whenever I'm about to hand back their first assignment or if I'm talking with a student and I want to make sure that even if it seems like they misunderstood the guidelines or maybe they have an idea that I need them to go way farther on, I'm trying to shape my language and my approach with it in a way that, you know, reinforces that they are meant to be here and that they are so capable, but the things that they're going to work on while they're here and the reason why they're here is to learn strategies to make their communication more effective, to sharpen those thinking skills that they're already demonstrating. But over the course of four years, your fourth yourself will look back and say, oh, wow, like I got, I got really good at X, Y, or Z. And I think they're coming out of a system, at least in Ontario and North America, where, you know, grade inflation is a thing. I know that high school educators want their students, if, if that is on their path, to go to post-secondary to have the grades to get in. But I think as soon as you have students that start their undergraduate degrees, they feel like they are already smart enough or hopefully, or maybe they just feel like they're, they shouldn't be here. But then if they get a low grade, they automatically think that they don't belong. And I think it's reminding them that you do belong, you're here for a reason. But this is also why it's a four-year degree because what you're gonna learn over the course of the next four years is supposed to make you end up at a much different point as a person, whether that's reflected in your grade or your writing skills. And that is why you are here. Um, so I'm not great at it. I think I'm getting a little bit better, but it's, uh, it's always trying to remember, at least for me, those personal moments where like, okay, if I can show up a little bit better for someone, for one of my students right now, that I remember feeling like when I was 18, 19, let's do it. <laughs> so for me, it's the balancing feedback. And it's always trying to make sure I'm validating while also providing constructive feedback. And that's something that the CTL helped me with. And that's something that TA for a couple of years has gotten me much stronger at as well. Yeah, I think those are such important points. And recently having gone through my comps paper and handed in a draft, one of the things I really liked was 
one of the committee members who would start with, I wonder if you could, or I wonder what it would look like if, because it just opened up this whole possibility of thinking about things differently as opposed to you should have or you didn't do. So that language and just that growth mindset and really fostering a sense of you know, curiosity in your learners, I think is really important. And, and I thank you for sharing that. And I just wanted to end by asking, is there anything else you want to add that we didn't have a chance to cover today? Honestly, I'm feeling pretty good about our conversation. And I think um, the only thing I will add is just encouraging your listeners and other grad students at Western or grad students in general, um, throughout your degree, Make sure that you don't shape your identity around your degree, that you still find hobbies or activities or ways of just reminding yourself that you are more than your degree. Because there are some points where, you know, grad school is hard. We're all really smart. We're all going to do the work and graduate. But throughout this, Throughout your degree, there'll be moments where you may come up against imposter syndrome, or you may have deadlines that you're like, there's no way I'm going to do this. And you have self-defeating thoughts. I am, I call myself one of the queens of self-defeating thoughts because I'm actively working on those. But, um, you know, finding different ways to feel fulfilled. So your degree is just one thing that makes up a much larger, more beautiful picture of who you are as a person. So whether that's hosting a podcast or, you know, volunteering or doing service work, you also get to meet people and you get to remind yourself that regardless of where your degree goes, whether or not you choose to stay in academia or not, where you want to take your life, your degree is just complimenting you as a person. That's it. And that also has helped me to quiet thoughts in my head and also remind myself, like at the end of the day, it's a degree. It's not the be all end all of my existence, even if it is a PhD, it's supposed to be an avenue for you to become a better thinker, a better writer, and it's an exercise in doing research. It's not the best thing you may do. It's not the last stamp of this is as academically, you know, hot off the press, Danica or Elizabeth or Jalisa is ever going to be. That's not the case, <laughs> like, you know. Um, so I just, I want to impart that because that's something that I had upper year students and my supervisor tell me consistently throughout my PhD. And I wish even before I started my master's that I had someone tell me that because I think I spent a large portion of that degree just worrying whether or not I belonged and whether or not I was good enough. Um, when I could have been doing so many other things with my energy and time. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's kind of like the last thing that I'll, I'll say on that. Thank you so much, Danica, for taking the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate hearing from you and all your wonderful words of wisdom. And we want to wish you a wonderful semester. Believe it or not, we're more than halfway done January. So we're, we're getting there day by day and enjoy the sunshine today. Yeah, thank you so much to you both. I appreciate it. I'm loving the podcast. I'm almost caught up on your episodes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, honestly, let's get through this term together and uh, enjoy the sunshine between the snow squalls while we can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you for listening. That's our episode for today. Next time, we're going to sit down with Kristen Legault, and we're going to talk about mental health on campus and some supports for students and what our university community could do differently. 